Alex, and I'm not the Mountain Goats. Surprise, surprise. I want to play that song for you because it's something that I have been considering on a philosophical, spiritual level for the past little bit now, and I think I've kind of come to a conclusion. My conclusion is I am, in fact, a goat. That is right, I have come in the form of Baphomet, and shall rain down my destruction upon thee. I'm not going to do the Apoc-Alex thing again this week. Because I'm not going to. What I the reason I was playing that is, so uh, that is from the Mountain Goats, and I don't remember the guy's name. And that's from the Mountain Goats, but uh, every single person that knows anything about indie rock is yelling at me right now. Uh, this fellow's name, but the uh, chorus to that song, maybe the refrain, but I don't really know musical terms. So it goes, but I won't get better, but someday I'll be free because I'm not this body that imprisons me. Yeah. It's deep shit, dog. But it kind of occurred to me somewhat recently that at some point in my, I guess, somewhat recent past, that I've moved from a kind of materialist view of the universe in that all of my spiritual, occult, weird-ass religious stuff has been a cry in the dark, has been a desperate, toddler-like grasping forward to find the comforting hands and hair of mother against the absolute and unassailable fact that when we die, we are as a light switch shut off in darkness. There is nothing. There isn't even blackness. There is nothing. Rotting corpse. Fun times. Comedy podcast. However, it occurred to me recently that I am, in fact, 
I don't know if I want to say I am, but this is the problem when you work on kind of meditative technique or, you know, kind of awareness of self is you sometimes refer to different varying levels of I, you know, so you can have, I observe myself doing this mindfulness meditation. So what I'm trying to say is that it occurred to me that I, that I think of myself as what I'm referring to as the entropic husk, the self-replicating, yet each replication is slightly worse than the previous one and, you know, dying but slowly but slowly. But that husk is being the, uh, as being the, the car, the, the transportation vehicle of something that may be, oh, I don't know if you want to say immortal or impermanent, it goes against all the Buddhist teachings, but that it is, in fact, house to something greater. So I'm not this body that imprisons me. It's interesting. I mean, I don't know if it's interesting to you because this is really, really simple spirituality 101 kind of shit. But for me, the realization that I had kind of gone through that switch, that my default mode now is one of spirit as the spirit as the transcendent i spirit as the as the vessel as the as the animus to the vessel and that's not even the way to put it when you do mindfulness meditation so let's say you feel angry and you think ah oh, you know i'm really feeling angry i don't really you know i shouldn't be doing that or something along those lines what you've done is now you've observed yourself being angry, but the fact is who's doing that observation is, well, I'm angry right now, I'm, I'm pensive right now, I'm happy right now, I'm orgasming right now, but when you make that observation, you're observing yourself, so who is the observer and who is the observed? So I think the, the overriding theme I'm trying to get here is becoming aware that you may actually believe in the greater observer. This is the stumbling point for a lot of people who lead towards the Eastern beliefs, any kind of like reincarnation concept that who is the thing or what is the thing being reincarnated? You know, if it's not, if it's not, you know, my name is Michael Smith, God damn it. And of course, and then Michael Smith dies and that body, you know, that's, that's soul, that whatever it is, reincarnates into, you know, uh, uh, you know, James Johansson. Well, James Johansson has no memory of being Michael Smith, goddammit. So how is Michael Smith James Johansson? I don't know why Michael Smith says goddammit a lot. I assume he's, assume he's, uh, I assume he, he chews tobacco and probably, um, probably plays dominoes for some reason. But with James Johansson, if he doesn't remember Michael Smith, why would reincarnation even matter? Like what would the, what is the thing that incarnates again? And I think the idea is, I know the idea, but the, I think I've kind of come to the conclusion that the incarnating thing is that greater I, the thing for when mindfulness is applied, that greater I is the, is the thing that incarnates or is the thing, the animating, the animating spirit, the animus, if you will, because that's why I said the animating spirit, like I was some kind of pretentious bag of shit. Right there was uh, what I like to call improper use of language, because I said, as if I were. 
because I am, in fact, a pretentious bag of shit. Hello. Welcome to the Alex cast. That has been my realization, but I wanted to tell you guys that. I also wanted to play you that song because I like it very much. It's a good fucking song. Yeah. That's it. That was my that was my thought process for the day. So, on that note, on the existential crisis that I opened the show on, I would like to tell you to go to facebook.com slash the standard PDX. That's a bar. You know what happens at bars? You can drink away any concept that you have of any rotting death that you feel growing within you. Any fear of the all-stalking blackness that is behind all of us. The creeping hand that leaves your shoulder slightly cold by its faint touch. Old death. The six-foot hole that you're going to be trapped in for the rest of, well, not even eternity, because your body will rot as well as the coffin, as well as the graveyard, as well as the earth, as well as the sun. All things will be consumed in eternal darkness and blackness as the universe expands into a gradual field of nothing, where all atoms are thrown so far apart that they lose all energy, and everything coalesces into a cool state just slightly above absolute zero, the cold death of the universe. And... That's better than cold death and a nice cold brewski, right? Am I right, boys? So why don't you go on Wednesday? It's $1 Hamstein. Wednesday at the Standard. This is the best commercial anybody's ever done for a bar ever. Because I'm talking about the, um, what do they call it? There's the big crunch, and then I think they call it like the big cool. Those are the two theories of how the universe kind of ends. Is that uh, the, big, uh, the Big Bang uh, inflation expansion just keeps going. And then eventually, because essentially... The all matter loses cohesion as it moves further and further apart, and then essentially there was no more radiant energy, and the universe goes to an average just slightly above absolute zero, and there's no uh, movement, and everything is cold and dead, or everything crunches back together into something so densely packed that it re-explodes again into another Big Bang, so Big Bang, Big Crunch. Big crunch, big bang, etc., etc. Moving onwards, the heartbeat of the universe, the heartbeat of the standard, located at 14 Northeast 22nd Avenue, Northeast Portland. This is the greatest commercial ever made for any product ever. So please go to facebook.com slash the standard PDX. If you go on Tuesdays, you can have their big cool special $2 microbrews. You can drink away the fact that everything you've ever loved will die and be forgotten. Or you can Go on Wednesdays, have $1 hams, and really just feel great for yourself and with beautiful young people that will eventually fall prey to entropy. Start sagging. Die in front of you. But you might as well have fun while you're waiting. Get drunk. Sing songs. Be like you're Irish. Or we could think maybe the singularity is just around the corner. Maybe man and machine will finally merge soon enough, and immortality is just one small hair's breath away. And what's better than to celebrate the oncoming immortality than drinking your face off? So go to The Standard, facebook.com slash thestandardpdx, 14 Northeast 22nd. Beautiful. One of the, um, one of the few redeeming qualities of the show is none. There, there's no redeeming qualities to this show. It is a slapdash piece of weirdness thrown out into the void and essentially I've looked so far into the void that the void is looking back and the void looking back is the audience that can find me at, at the Alex cast on Twitter. In that audience, I had a question. 
That question goes like this. What do I think about prophecy and prophetic dreams? Well, that is a good question. That's from at Melanie Pekema. Mm, I think. I'll put her I'll put her Twitter in the show notes. It is the fine young woman that did the painting that became the cover of Periphery, my book, available on Amazon.com. Um So prophetic dreams and prophecy I find interesting on one way and completely bullshit on another, which you know, way to cover your bases, Alex. Is there is a certain kind of how does one put it? It's completely there's a there's a confirmation bias going on. That if you have let's say you're a person that remembers their dreams frequently. Like fuck it. Let's say every night you remember at least one dream. 365 days a year multiplied by the amount of years you're alive. So let's say you live for 100 years. That would be, uh, what, 30,600 days, 650 days, right? 365 with two more zeros added to it would be, yeah, 30,650 days or 30, yeah, whatever. 30, wait, 300, yeah, 36,500 days. Sure, why not? of dreams, 36,500 dreams are available for that. Out of that, if you have one that quote unquote comes true, you're now a prophet, even though the statistics of this are, are ridiculous. Like if I said, Hey, I'm psychic. Let me, uh, let me guess what card you're thinking of. And I only get it right every 36,000 times. Uh, I don't believe that you would think me a, a psychic, or at least you wouldn't think I'm a very fucking good psychic. So, uh, that's one side of it, that a lot of prophecy, quote unquote, is just that, you know, the old historical, the old history adage that history is written by the winners. Well, prophecy is written by the ones that came right. If you remember that, uh, what was his name, Harold Camping from a few years ago? I think that was his name. The um, That weirdo Christian uh, Christian prophet guy that said the world was going to end. And well, obviously, since we're talking, the world didn't end, but he was very public about it. And then he went out of the public sphere shortly thereafter being proven completely wrong and i think he died shortly after that but completely wrong there was also uh and there was the um these flat earth theorists out of florida that i forget their name i think they were called i think they were called the millerites which i know there's another millerites in in um in like Pennsylvania, like Pennsylvania Dutch. But anyway, this was another Millerites kind of thing where uh, he had it down to like the the day and second that the world took an end. They end up, uh, a bunch of them killed themselves. And obviously, you know, I guess they killed themselves to get ready for Jesus coming back. Obviously, that didn't work out. So prophecy didn't work there. However, I think there is a potential to kind of, in the same way I think there's a potential for clairvoyance, ESP, that kind of thing. I think there's a potential to connect to, I don't want to say the future because that, this is one of those weird concepts where if you say the future, I want to say the, the probability wave that is dictating reality. Uh, A lot of physicists refer to, you know, uh, uh, elementary particles as more probability waves than anything else. That it's it's the potentiality of their existence and their movement less than their actual like in a Newtonian sense their actual physical 
locality and and motion in the you know the old school Newtonian you know billiard balls on a billiard table style uh, existence. So I think connecting to that or in some way either connecting to or predicting a probability wave that results in what would essentially be future actions, but not future actions in the way that you predicted the future. It's just in a way that you knew what was going to happen, which, oh God, that sounded weird. If you are playing a DVD of a movie and you hit play, you're starting like the, the, the probability, assuming that no mechanical errors happen, the probability of that movie playing is one in one. So if you predict the future of that movie, it's you're you're following the waveform of an action. You're following the pushing of the button, and then you're following the probability wave of that of that pushing of a button. So you, instead of saying you're predicting the future, what you're doing is kind of observing the button push now, and in some way connecting it. You know, obviously subconsciously or psychically or whatever, and then interpolating that data into something that would be quote unquote predicting the future, but it's not predicting the future in it's predicting the future in the way that you throw a baseball and watch it eventually fall, you know, because of gravity. It's, it's a probability wave being formed onto the universe that you're connecting into, which I mean, basically what I just said there sounded really horse shitty, but I I think there is a certain level of that. I think there's a, they they say like on on like a quantum field level there you know uh, time can move both forwards and backwards or at least um maybe i think there's another problem i think probability can move both forwards and backwards and observable and it's you know kind of predictable and i think something like that might happen so yeah i think there might be prophecy and i think that might be the way that it works but i think most prophecy is either complete bullshit like the, you know, the Christian uh, prophets that I referenced earlier. And I'm only picking on the Christian prophets because I know more about them than I do some of the other ones. Um, mostly because I, you know, I mock them for their stupid, you know, it's just like, Hey, look at that stupid. They're doing stupid. You're being all stupid, stupid. So yes, I'm picking on them. But if I knew more about, you know, uh, Muslim or, you know, Vedic or whatever, Buddhist, like any other prophets, I'd be making fun of them too. Just not as strongly because I'm pretty anti-Christian. So there's that. Anyway, I had a prophecy. I had a prophetic dream. And this is why I was kind of mocking uh, my friend Mel for bringing up the topic to me because she knew about this. And let me tell you about my prophetic dream. And you're going to, you're going to like this one because this is spooky. So when I was young, 22 ish, I had this vivid dream and it was quite vivid for a few years. I remembered lots of details about it. And you may be thinking, but Alex, why are you using the past tense about remembering vividly? Well, Magical audience member that I've put in as a proxy to anybody actually talking to me. Let me explain if you stop interrupting me with your bullshit questions. I had this vivid dream of when I was going to die. I knew I was going to die at 26 or 27 years old. It was going to be the Friday after I turned that date. And the circumstances of my death involved green, uh, neon green, and then somehow turning five into ten spooky this is some biblical shit if i write that down in 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 thousand doth 
motherfuckers would be listening. So I had this dream and it was this, you know, symbolist kind of dream in which, you know, there was a green thing turned five into 10. And I knew, I mean, I do dead level. I was going to die. I knew it. I knew the date. So I turned 26 the week after nothing. Okay. So 27 came around and I knew it. I was fucking convinced so much to the fact the week before my 27th birthday, I had the dream again. Turned five into 10 green. This time there was a, a concept of motion involved that I knew I was dead. I knew I was going to die that Friday. And Mel knew. She didn't know I was going to die. She knew about the dream. I think Jen knew. A few of my friends, they knew. I told them about it. I said, when I die, it's going to be fucking amazing. So I was driving home from, I was playing Friday night disc golf doubles in um, West Milford, New Jersey. Maybe it's New Milford. I haven't lived there in a while. Either way, when I was driving home, I saw a truck that was green. And there was numbers on the side of the truck. Two of those numbers were 5 and 10. So I pulled over to the side of the road and waited for 10 minutes. Then I drove home for the rest of the way. Unblemished by death. Right? Pretty freaky. Well, no, it isn't. It's a terrible fucking story because nothing goddamn happened. I didn't die. I didn't, nothing happened. I could have driven by anything and plopped in those fucking numbers. The truck wasn't the kind of green that I thought it was, but it was slightly green. So if I was a far more dishonest person, I could have spun the story that way. I was driving reasonably fast. I could have said, I could have added that to the story. I'll tell you the truth, I had a couple wobbly pops while I was playing disc golf. I could have said, you know, the drunkenness. I was, I avoided my own drunk driving death was what happened that day. But you know what happened? Nothing. I had a fucking dream that I got myself so goddamn hopped up on that I worried about it that on the day of it, I actually invented in my own dumb fuck subconscious the way that I avoided this prophetic dream, this death state that I was going to be put onto. No, it's horseshit. It didn't happen. What I saw was something that would happen any time I drove home. Maybe I would have seen a car with a five in town on it. Maybe I would have seen a fucking, uh, uh, just a green car. And then I drove by, uh, a a, 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 a grocery store and I would say, oh, you know, those used to be called five and tens back when, uh, you know, I was a kid, uh, you know, the, the local drug store and milkshake shack, that would be a five and 10. So therefore, because I drove by the Dairy Queen, which has a $5 blizzard, that must be the five I turned into a 10 because a cup while looking one way looks like a one and then from the bottom looks like a zero, thus the 10. So because I didn't buy a blizzard, I didn't die this day. Huzzah! Look at this. And that blizzard often can come in a mint flavor. Ha. Like me destroying prophecy with single fell swoops. The point is, uh, my prophecy was completely bullshit. I thought it was true. And then uh, I actually had myself convinced for a second, probably a couple months, that on the drive home, I actually had avoided that the, the waveform, that probability waveform of my death that I avoided. By turning off the road when I saw that truck. But what actually happened was something along the lines of, I was just some idiot. I was listening to the, the whims and weirdness of your own subconscious. And yeah, so that's what I think about prophecy. Welcome to the Alex cast. <laughs> uh, so I think it's important to bring up at least my fucked up prophecy. I think it's important to bring up because this, this goes into a lot of the occult stuff that I work on and not just me. I mean, anybody works on that. I think it's important to 
both accept, I think it's important to accept the prophecy. I think it's important to go, I'm going to die that, not the death one, because I'm just, I was raised Catholic, so I'm death obsessed. But I think it's important to, one, accept all of the magical weirdness that happens to you, accept your prophecies, you know, um, accept the, the, the hints and drops of wisdom that are given to you, you know. A lot of people, when they start down the magical path, will start seeing coincidences, places, exponential coincidences. Accept those. It's fine. It's perfect. But also, on some ways, keep a little bit of your your sane mind with you. Not to say that the other thing's insane, but keep a small level of rationality. Because it's a small step between getting into, you know, a, a, a cult Gnostic hermetic practices, learning about the Kabbalah and getting into all this kind of cool, vague number theory, science slash ritual slash spirituality that is actually helpful on a, you know, a self-building way. It can improve you. It can, it can give you the tools that you need to kind of go on whatever path you want to. But it's a small jump between that and, you know, humming into a crystal to try to raise your vibration so you can win the lottery or, you know, going to the top of a mountain and trying to contact UFOs using your psychic UFO lure. These are, these are, and I'm not saying these are similar things, but look, just hang out in the community for long enough. You're going to find these things. And I think that's the danger you're walking down. If you kind of, you know, accept fully, love fully, be that way but i think keep keep a bit of it while your mind's completely open also keep an open mind to some of the closed-minded stuff because you know there's a reason occultism didn't build iphones science did that and iphones are awesome well not iphones i kind of hate iphones but you get the point smartphones um penicillin batteries actually penicillin and batteries was i couldn't have chosen two of the worst examples because both of those theoretically occultists actually did invent previous to the modern form but all right so uh fucking um the gasoline powered engine uh which yeah i know killed the environment yada yada but cars are kind of cool trains and uh and iphones all wonderful stuff science got us there so while you're walking the weird ass road of prophecy and occultism and spirituality just Maybe just put a little, put a reminder in your smartphone. I I personally use Android. I like it. Put a little reminder that like maybe once a month have an alarm go off that says, uh, remember that science built this. And then just, just remind yourself like, oh, you know, there's a bit of rationality and then look around and go, well, okay, I am on the top of Mount Shasta right now and I'm naked wearing a bullhorn and I'm uh, uh, screaming to the sky, uh, uh, please uh, Lemurian aliens come down and take me. You might go, oh, you know what? Maybe I've taken just a, just a, just a skosh of a step too far. Maybe I've gone a little bit too much into this weird world. And then just step back. You don't have to give it back up. You don't have to become a materialist. You don't have to, you don't have to be all boring and argue atheism on the internet. Like everything will be good, but you know, just take a step back. You don't, you don't have to give up. You don't have to give up one for the other. You can, you know, you can like, you can like your smartphone while, um, while practicing weird alchemical metaphors for spiritual and literal, uh, transubstantiation of objects. It's perfectly fine. We're allowed to do both. It's the, it's the beauty of this. I don't know what this is, but trust me, that's the beauty of it. Wonderful. I was, uh, 
I was hanging out on the internet today, and I suppose that I should, well, let's just say this. So I wrote a book, it's called Periphery. It's available on Amazon. I'd very much like you to buy it. Uh, if I could give it for free, I would, I'd give it to you. So actually, I should say I'd very much like you to read it. It's like five bucks. Yeah, it's five bucks uh, for the ebook version for Kindle. So you buy it. If you don't want a Kindle version, I'm also on smashwords.com. Then you can get it there. And it's awesome. So fun times. But I want to talk to you guys about reviews. So I uh, I asked the audience, not that often because I kind of give it, but I used to ask the audience a lot to go on iTunes and leave a nice review for the show. Every now and again, people do. I like to see the ones that actually, you can see like, oh, one review. And the one review is, hey, Alex, I like your show. And it's like, obviously, one of my friends went on their way to do an account. I'm like, oh, that's really sweet of you. Like, you took the fucking 10 minutes or whatever it takes to do an iTunes account. I know it's kind of annoying. So that's kind of why I stepped off the pedal a little bit about trying to get people to do it. But it's helpful and it's really nice. Uh, Same goes for uh, reviews for Periphery on Amazon. It's, you know, it's super nice. So today I got my first negative review of the show. And you might be thinking, well, Alex, you've been doing this show for over three years. That's wonderful. It took you that long to get your first, your first negative review. Well done. What a, what a nice reminder of how well you're doing by showing you the antithetical. You can remind yourself how well you've done. In fact, if you wanted to draw the metaphor further, you would look back to the conversation you're having with yourself, not four minutes ago and say, Hey, this is the time that you step back and go, wow, you know what? All of this, this domain I looked down upon was built upon occultism and weirdness. And it's nice to have a little bit of iPhone step in your life to remind you of the, the footing of the bottom of the ladder. That's right. Because that metaphor didn't make a lot of sense. There's ladders now because I think it was on a mountain first. But the point is I got a shitty review. Now, I actually don't really care about the shitty review. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's actually accurate. He said I stammer a lot and I'm not prepared. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I agree with both those points. So certainly not, uh, I'm certainly not uh, annoyed with the content of the review, but I am confused by why would you, why would you decide to leave a review now of anything? Like, why would your first review be negative? I don't understand this. I know this is a, f- a failing of mine. It's this fucked up optimism I have, which doesn't make sense because I know people kind of blow. I've seen them be terrible, but for some reason I have this incessant f- fucking positive view of people and I don't understand it. But why would you do your first review to be negative? I just, what do you think that helps? I don't, it's just lost to me. I understand that if you're someone that feels the need to review everything, like if that dude left the exact same review and I clicked on his name and he had like, I don't know, fucking 10 other reviews, I go, oh, yeah, he didn't like the show. Wouldn't have given it a second thought. Well, I probably would have given it a second thought because I'm a, of an ass that takes in everything negative and exponentially takes that in much more than everything positive. So for 39 positive reviews, that one, that probably, that probably makes it about 10 positive and one negative. So that's, yeah, that's now 10% of reviews somehow, even though the math doesn't work. But if I were a reasonable person, I would say, oh, well, like I didn't like the show. Cool. Shrug my shoulders, press on forward. But why would you, why would your first review be a negative one? I just, it doesn't make sense to me. So it makes sense if you're a person that incessantly reviews, that you would review something poorly or positively. Beautiful. I mean, that's the point of reviews. I'm a fucking writer. Like I, I embrace the review. It's something that has to happen. And it's generally a positive thing because if someone does a review properly, even if it's a quote unquote negative review, it's still a 
useful tool. But why would you go out of your way to start an account or not even start an account to do your first review to, to leave a negative comment? It just doesn't make sense to me. But I, so I bring this up for that. My confusion as, uh, uh, you know, towards someone doing that, but I did kind of look through and as I was just kind of stressing that metaphor before to the point of breaking and somehow talking about ladders that there are quite a few there that are one review people of very positive nature. Some of them I can guess who they are because the names are kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, trying to tell me who, who they are. But I just want to say thank you guys who did that. That is very sweet of you. I The iTunes review actually does help. The way that iTunes works, the amount of new subscribers and the amount of reviews you get kind of multiplied in this arcane way by downloads and yada yada. But reviews and new subscriptions help a lot. So uh, thank you very much for doing that. Like all the people that have one fucking review, like you went out of your way to make a fucking account or at least figure out how to review on an account just to like give me the fucking stars and the nice words. That's really sweet of you. So thank you very much. Uh, I'm perfectly fine if you're a person that insistently like insists on reviewing shows. That's like your thing. Yeah, you can leave a bad review if you want. I prefer that you didn't because that doesn't help my ranking, but I completely understand it. But why would you make an account? To, it just doesn't. It's it's just demonstrative of the kind of just the kind of negative worldview that the people have. And it's just kind of I don't know. I just think it's kind of gross. It's not helpful. Like. There's no universe in which that's helpful. That'd be like telling somebody that their girlfriend's not particularly attractive. Be like, oh, no, dude, really nice. I mean, you can totally see where you're with her, but, you know, it's, you know nose is kind of ugly. It's, it's kind of really not that good looking. Like, yeah, you're being honest. Like, but that doesn't help anything. There's no, po- no good things could come of that statement. No good things could possibly ever come from you referencing that, that your friend's girlfriend is ugly. I mean, in, unless maybe your friend's, like, super jealous and you think it would actually kind of uh, super his annoyance at you calling her ugly would supersede his jealousy and that, you know, and him possibly thinking that you're trying to fuck her. But that's a really that's a weird stretch. Anyway, I suppose I just wanted to tell you that reviews are great. I want you guys to review the show. Go to iTunes if you want to go to Amazon, review the book after you read it. It's good. But just don't don't call my girlfriend ugly. And, and, uh, don't think I'm trying to fuck your girlfriend because I left an iTunes review. I think, I mean, honestly, this analogy kind of went out of hand too. Um, I'm, yeah, sorry about that. That was a little weird. Before I move on, I want to tell you about my friend Ray. Well, you know about Ray. He runs the Inspired Disorder Collective. He is, he is a swell fellow. Um, he does the Inspired Disorder podcast. He has done such things as interview actual people, not just his shithead friends, like I do on my show. You should listen to his show, because it's good. He's also quite a talented artist. He paints things. He does, like, uh, photographs and puts them on, like, wood and stuff. Which, yeah, not the best way you could describe it. Because, let's face it, I'm a Philistine. But if you go there... I want you to go to etsy.com slash shop slash inspired disorder and check out his art. It's really quite good. You can get prints. There's, it's all sorts of good stuff. It's all it's all happy. It's great. But if you decide to buy something, use the code Alex, A-L-E-X-X, and you get 10% off. And that's pretty fucking cool, right? I think it's cool. He's actually working on right now. I don't know if it's going to be on the web store or if it's just like where he sells shit in person, but he's doing a disorder, like a, what is he called? Like a super disorder pack or a... Uh, anti-disestablishmentarianism pack or something like that where 
he is um, having uh, signed copies of Periphery, the book I wrote, and his art combined together into one lovely sales unit. So how cool would that be? You could get cool art by a fucking, you know, up-and-coming artist and um, a book by an, a guy named Alex that you're listening to talk, which theoretically I'm up-and-coming as well. But I haven't had a girlfriend in a while, so I have been up-and-coming in a little bit. But um bump See what I did there? That's an ejaculate joke. Hooray! Ejaculation. Hooray! So, so go on a ladder that somehow leads to iTunes and go to uh, etsy.com slash shop slash inspired disorder. And if you buy stuff, use the code Alex because, uh, well, because I, um, I very much would like that because Ray is a talented artist. I'm going to say it one more time. Seriously. I would have said that if, uh, actually I am saying that because I was going to say if he doesn't sponsor, it's not really a sponsorship thing. It's just, it's a way to kind of sweeten the pot for you that you get 10% off and he knows who sent you. The, what I was leaning to there, I just wanted to, just a brief aside, I don't, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of hate. It's not a thing that I'm into. I don't think a lot of people are friends hate, but I'm not an angry person. I don't, I use the term hate very, very colloquially. I don't think I actually hate anything. I mean, I suppose, you know, racism or, or uh, you know, like stepping on babies or something. Like, yeah, I, I, I hate stepping on babies. Not not me doing it. I mean, I, I, I find it velvety soft when I step on a baby, but I mean the concept stepping on babies, I, I, I would go as far as to say I hate, but I don't, I don't hate people that often. I don't like hating people, but I did want to point out that at 14 writer, uh, Martin J. Clemens, I loathe, I hate with the fire of a thousand suns. I, he, he is an ill-begotten son of a bitch. And I cannot wait for him to find Judgment Day because that son of a fuck reminded me of the words, well, the word, metachlorian. Fuck you, Mark J. Clemens. Fuck you a lot. If you don't know what I'm talking about, well, one, Martin J. Clemens is of paranormalpeopleonline.com or at 14 writer. You'll notice I'm plugging him while making fun of him. Because you probably also picked up on the fact that this is like 100% artifice just to get to a point. Midichlorians were were the reason given for the Force in the Star Wars movies. Just to give a, a description here, if if you're if you're not a person that knows the Star Wars prequels, in the first three movies, there is of course the Force. This unifying force this field that connects all of the universe in a in a joyous net of 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 energies and love and that you can connect to this force and use it as an ally as a friend to help you through the universe that you can oh i'm going to reach my hand out and using the force i will move an object it's it's very much like an ascended master or uh, somebody that's done their asceticism so well that they can now levitate or or become one with the Buddha or or some other poor shit that monks that need money for alms said they could do. No, I, I believe in some of that stuff, but it's the, the idea is that these are these are like highly spiritual, highly trained people that can connect to this force concept and move stuff around. I'm t- I'm talking, of course, to the people that are unfamiliar with this. I'm imagining. Um, 
people that haven't seen Star Wars. It just uh, like super hot 20 something chicks uh, that that uh, that have better things to do. You know, essentially no one in my audience. Well, maybe like two people. One, sort of. Half of one. Let's face it, no one. But, so to the invisible uh, super hot 20s chick uh, that has never seen Star Wars, that's the concept of the Force. In the prequels, because that's how you say that word, is they explain the Force as this. And, you know, let's not explain the Force. Let's explain the Zen-like state that we achieve through uh, the teachings of the Buddha. So the uh, Siddhartha Gautama comes down and teaches us the ways to get through life. He teaches the four full, the, the four noble truths, the eightfold path. He teaches us that life is suffering and there is a way to get out of the line of suffering and that the way through this is using right action, right speech is, is there is a way to get of this horrible circle of karma, of birth and rebirth. And then later it turns out tiny little bacterias were in the, were in the Buddha and that the more bacteria were in the Buddha, the better chances that he would become enlightened. Fuck you, Martin J. Clemens for reminding me of Metachlorians. That, what a fucking shitty movie that was. It, they literally took this spiritual fucking force and explained it as tiny little monsters that live in your blood. And that's how you can use the force. Oh, God, that was such a shitty movie. But this reminds me, and it reminds me, I think somebody actually said it to me to talk about on the show, may very well have been Martin J. Clemens. This is, this is Thetans from Scientology. Uh, Scientology is, you know, the, the wacky religion L. Ron Hubbard made up. They, they, they exploded all the space Hitlers, you know, the bad space aliens, and then chunks of the space alien, bad Hitler space souls are in all of our bodies now, and that those have to be kind of expurgated by um, becoming clear, uh, which is essentially just telling the truth and giving the church a lot of your money. So I guess George Lucas went, oh, that's a great idea, that horseshit religion everybody makes fun of. I'm going to use that concept in my prequel movies. Oh, this is great. Oh, why is Buddha sitting under a lotus tree? Please explain to me how I may achieve enlightenment. Ah, yes, noble wanderer upon the path. Please, let me test your blood for tiny parasites that help you find the path to enlightenment. Fuck you, at 14 writer, you ill-begotten son of a bitch, which I said earlier. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Martin J. Clemens and Paranormal People Online. However, I, I, why would you... Why? 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 Would you remind me of Metachlorians? Disgusting. And a purely theoretical uh, hot girl that's never seen Star Wars that's listening, well, don't don't watch the first ones. The first ones are the second ones, actually. What I'm saying is, if you watch uh, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, or Star Wars Episode Six, eh, you don't really have to watch that one. It's fucking Muppets. But if you watch the first two. They're pretty good. If you can respect them in, in where they were in the history of science fiction, they they hold up, up they, 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 uh, yeah, don't worry about watching Star Wars. It's, uh, it's actually, it's actually pretty shitty. I'm sorry I ever brought it up. 
God, Mala's gonna be so mad at me this life day. No one's... It's a, that's a reference for seven people. Oh, that's not true. People understand that now. That's a reference to the Star Wars uh, hol- uh, Christmas special, uh, uh, the holiday special, which is one of the worst movies ever made. But when I was a young geek, it was impossible to find because it hadn't been released uh, in years. So you had to go to like comic book shows or like, you know, um, like hip comic book stores and buy bootleg VHS copies of it. And there's full scenes of uh, Chewbacca's extended family uh, talking in whatever Wookiee language it is, I guess Kashyyyk, uh, to each other without subtitles. So just for minutes at a time, it's, I, I'm, I never regretted making a noise so much in my life than I did whilst making those. Oh, sweet Jesus. So yeah, um, I'm going to cry now. Oh, I can't believe I just did that. So yeah, it's really bad, but they're available. It's on YouTube now, so you can watch it. So people would understand, but Mala is one of the other Wookiees. Yeah. I'm, I'm super embarrassed. Speaking of hairy things, um, <laughs> it's fucking Segway. Everybody loves a Segway because we're talking about something else and I had no way to get to the story. This is something that was sent to me by somebody called Craig Bolin. Craig Bolin? Shitty last name. North Korean university students are now reportedly required to get the same haircut as Kim Jong-un. Women will still be allowed to choose from a state-sanctioned dues. So, yeah, I'm just going to read this thing. Until now, everyone in North Korea had to choose from their haircut, choose their haircuts from a list of state-approved styles. But now, all male undergraduates in the Hermit Kingdom will be required to sport the same haircut as Supreme Leader Kim Jong-un, the BBC reports. The Hermit Kingdom? Why the fuck's it called the Hermit Kingdom? Someone explain that to me. I ain't looking it up. Pyongyang introduced the new law two weeks ago, but it is now rolling out across the country. Unfortunately, some North Koreans may not be thrilled about the new look. According to former Pyongyang resident, now living in China, the Kim Jong-un cut is unpopular because it apparently resembles the style of Chinese smugglers. Until the mid-2000s, we called it the Chinese smuggler haircut. That's fucking original, dude. The source told Korea Times. For now, it seems women will still be able to choose one of the several state-approved styles. Though, if Kim Jong-un is a Friends fan, maybe he'll mandate that all women get the Rachel. Ugh. Wow, that's, uh... What a fucking terrible fucking way to end a story. Anyway... Uh, it was updated at 4 or 5 uh, a.m. Eastern Time. This came out, like, last week, I guess. The BBC corrected its story to say that the haircut rule applies only to university students, not all North Korean men, as originally stated. Uh, another update. The Associated Press rules that the mandatory haircuts may be an unfounded rumor. Oh, I wish I'd read that first. Well, actually, fuck reading that first. Even if that thing of them getting one, um, uh, haircut isn't true, they actually have a list of state-approved haircuts you can get in North Korea. Which, let's face how fucking great is that? How relaxing is it to finally be free to the shackles of trying to come up with a haircut every month? I mean, come on. Think about that. Just the joyous liberty of just saying, hey, please give me a one, two, three, or a four. Think about all the time that we could save just trying to get this dude to do something. You know what I'm saying, girls? Oh, wow. If only I could live in such a progressive and wonderful nation as North Korea. Just sitting there with my wonderful number three towering of all those people, me being six foot one and them being somewhere above four foot seven. Being the thinnest person in the country would be nice as well. I have now mocked all of North Korea and I feel better for it. Thank you. I'm done talking because 
Now I'm just done talking. Fuck all you guys. I also found this. Um, I'm just going to put a link to it. Dailygrail.com. Uh, you can read it on my site. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, the suppressed alchemical papers of the great scientist Sir Isaac Newton. Um, so Newton, I know, is one of those people that uh, all you science folks glom onto, like saying, oh, holy Newton, let us bow to you and your delicious cookies. Well, this motherfucker believed in some alchemy, and they found his papers, and this documentary talks about it. And to be fair, documentary actually isn't all that good, but I think it's an interesting place to start from. Uh, the Daily Grail dude, I forget, his, I think Greg is his name? Hold on a second. Yeah, Greg over at the Daily Grail. It's a good overview of the of the topic of essentially how Newton was an alchemist, but how alchemy is kind of portrayed in this weird style where it's actually more of a natural science kind of thing where the transmutation of base metals into gold was one of the things they're working on, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff too. So anyway, it's well worth looking at. I will put it up on the notes for this episode at alexcast.com. This is episode 150. And I think it might be 152-1? I don't know. Who gives a fuck? You know who gives a fuck? I do. Because I'm unprepared and I mumble a lot. Oh, look at that. <sighs> I'm a petty piece of shit. So, I also found out today that whilst meditating, I found a blue horn in my dream being blown by a person. And apparently this is... Uh, a reference to the show uh, How I Met Your Mother. Now, I've never seen How I Met Your Mother, and I didn't know that French horns would be blue. I believe that in my deepest meditative state, I found not only access to ancient Egyptian secrets, like when Sakmet contacted me to tell me what will be happening in my future. Also, it will tell me tiny parts about some shitty fucking sitcom that I don't watch. The wonders of the occult know almost no bounds. Dig that, Daddy-O. Dig that. Fun. So, I've been Alex, and you have been the audience. From all of us here in the Echo Chamber to all of you there that are not in the Echo Chamber, I wish you a fine and feathered farewell. I love you. Namaste. My prayer be not humble, make it so. In these last hours, if the spirit waits in check, help me let it go. And should my suffering double, let me never love you less. Let every knee be bent. Every tongue confess And I won't get better But someday I'll be free Cause I am not this body That imprisons me I read the magazines Somebody brought Hold them to my failing eyes Until my hands get hot And when the nurse comes in To change my sheets and clothes The pain begins to travel 
dancing as it goes And I won't get better But someday I'll be free Cause I am not this body That imprisons me Imprisons me. 